This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We start out this evening with Edmund O'Brien in the role of Johnny Duller. Orson Welles actually helped Edmund O'Brien get his start in show business. In no time, he became one of the screen's most popular heavies. He received the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor and the corresponding Golden Globe for his supporting role in The Barefoot Contessa in 1954, as well as a second Golden Globe and another Academy Award nomination for Seven Days in May, ten years later. Some other notable films include The Hunchback of Notre Dame, The uh, Killers, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. During World War II, Edmund O'Brien served in the U.S. Army Services and appeared in the Air Force's Broadway play Winged Victory by Moss Hart. He appeared alongside Red Buttons, Carl Malden, and Barry Nelson, to name a few. So he had very serious acting chops, and he played yours truly, Johnny Dollar, from 1950 to 52. Here's tonight's episode entitled, The Virginia Beach Matter. Now, from Hollywood, it's time for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Uh, Carl Brewster down at East Coast. Yes, Carl. Uh, I wonder if you'd do a little job for us. Sure, what is it? A policyholder of ours needs some protection. Well, I hope this doesn't indicate a trend. This is the second time an insurance company has hired me as a bodyguard. Isn't that rather unusual? Well, it's rather an unusual case. This girl, uh, her fiancé, has spent the past five years in prison. He's being released tomorrow, and he swears that the first thing he's going to do is kill her. Oh, that's cozy. Mm-hmm. I think she deserves some help. Uh, come on down this afternoon, and we'll talk it over. Edmund O'Brien, in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, East Coast Underwriters, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Carl Brewster. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during assignment on the Virginia Beach matter. Expense account item one, a dollar and a half cab fare from my apartment to your office. Well, well, you're prompt, Dollar. How are you, Mr. Brewster? Or did we set any particular time? No, I guess we didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to see you anyway. Sit down. Thank you. Now, let's see. Oh, yes, the Browning girl. Janice Browning. I, how much did I tell you over the phone? That her boyfriend was getting out of stir and was going to kill her. What you left unsaid was that she probably deserves it. What's that? I don't hold much sympathy for these dames that get themselves involved with some hoodlum and... Then decide to get disinvolved the minute the going gets rough. But it's your money. I wouldn't jump to conclusions, Dollar. This is a pathetic case. 
course, the girl made a mistake in taking up with this fellow, but five years is a long time to think, and she realized her mistake. What did he go up for? I believe it was robbery. Do you know if she spent all the loot before she realized her mistake? No, Dollar. Why doesn't she hire a bodyguard herself? Because she can't afford it. She has nothing. She turned to us because there was no place to go. Poor thing is in desperate fear of her life, Dollar. Surely you can appreciate that. Okay, give me the rest. And there's a little more. She's living in Virginia, uh, outside of Norfolk, Virginia Beach. Janice Browning, was it? Uh-huh. Uh, I have her dress for you. Her fiancé's name is Robeson. Uh, Mark Ropes. And he's due out tomorrow. From the state penitentiary at Richmond. Uh, just stay with her until we see what happens. She, uh, she was here, Dollar. I talked to her. This will not be an unpleasant assignment for you. She must have something more than a policy to knock this whole company off its feet far enough to hire a bodyguard. That could spell bankruptcy if it went far enough. <laughs> $110 transportation and incidentals between Hartford and Virginia Beach, Virginia. Virginia Beach seemed hardly the scene for potential murder. A white strip of sunny beach on one hand and a friendly forest of pine on the other. I found Janice Browning's address just south of the village proper. A fair-sized cottage surrounded first by a small, well-kept garden and then undeveloped land. When I got out of the cab, I was looked over by a trim little honey blonde thing in shorts and halter who waited for me on the veranda. Hello. Hello. You seem to be carrying a suitcase. Are you sure you haven't been misdirected? Are you Miss Janice Browning? No, I am her personal maid. Who are you? My name is Dollar. I'm the investigator from the insurance company. Did you say personal maid? Yeah. Did you say investigator? That's right. Well, I hope you'll pardon me if I'm confused. I was not notified of the arrival of no investigator. What is it you want? Miss Browning asked for me. She went to her insurance company and requested a bodyguard. A bodyguard? Well, I don't know about that. But then there are lots of things I don't know as yet. I'm new here. But if she asks for you, you may as well come in. Thanks. you were surprised when I said I was Miss Browning's personal maid because of the way I'm dressed, your pardon expression. As a matter of fact, I was surprised that she had one. Why'd you say that? I'd been led to believe that she couldn't afford things like that. Well, between you and I, I haven't been paid yet. But she seems to be very generous. She turned over her entire wardrobe for me to wear at any time. Yeah, but maybe that's a bad sign. Maybe she's going to pay me off in clothes, and they don't quite fit, as you can see. How long have you been here? Just only three days. My name's Betty Light. I took the name Light from my stepfather. What are you doing here? Well, Miss Browning has a fiancé coming out of prison today, and she's afraid to meet him alone. Prison? Well, you could never tell. But I suppose it's her business. What is? Well, if I was sweating out a fiancé after all that time, I wouldn't be quite so sick with what she's sick with. What do you mean? Well, if I were him, I'd feel cheated. She hasn't been wasting her time, from what I can tell. In one week, that's plenty. But I shouldn't be gassing like this. Who is he? His name is George Masters. And if there's a fiancé on tap, he'd better be careful. Why is she afraid that she shouldn't be? Well, because she changed her mind about him and evidently didn't tell him about it. Sure, the same old story. Well, this is a surprise to me, but the least I can do is work out the wig. You know, Betty... I feel the same way. 
past midday when I arrived, and it wasn't until almost five that a cream-colored convertible coasted into the driveway carrying a man and another honey blonde. I could see immediately how Janice Browning had swept the insurance company off its feet. How do you do, Mr. Dollar? I'm so glad you're here. Oh, may I present Mr. Masters? All right, Mr. Masters. Uh, I won't stay, Jan. I know you have things to talk over. I'll pick you up at seven. All right, George. Uh, bye, Dollar. feel a lot better, too, now that you're here. I'll do what I can. See you at seven, Jan. I'll be ready. Oh, please sit down, Mr. Dollar. Oh, Betty. Yes, Mr. Brown. I don't think we'll need anything, and I'd like to see Mr. Dollar alone, if you don't mind. Oh, by all means, Miss Browning. Could I have your permission to visit the beach? Of course, stay as long as you like. You know where the beach things are. Oh, I wouldn't think of encroaching. I just go the way I am. She's the strangest girl. Where'd you find her? She was a waitress in New York. I asked her if she wanted to come down for the rest of the summer. I thought she'd be company. But she's become so formal, or tries to be. Oh, would you like a drink or something? No, thanks. I suppose you think I'm an awful coward to scream for help the way I did. Well, I haven't heard all the particulars. I I really didn't know what else to do. I thought of running away, but, well, I've made friends here. There's the simple fact that I don't have any money. How serious do you think this threat to kill you is? I'm afraid it's quite serious. But I, I don't know what will happen, and I wanted somebody to be with me. When did you see him last? Six months ago. I thought about it for a long time, about our breaking our engagement and which would be the best way to do it, and I decided to face him while he was still in prison and simply tell him I couldn't go on. Well, that wasn't the easiest way to hand it to him. I know, but it was the fairest, I thought. He didn't create a scene or anything, but I'll never forget his expression. He just looked at me and said, Have your fun. You've only got six months, because when I get out of here, I'm going to kill you. Well, now the six months are up. He's been let out. He knows you're here? Yes, he'll come here. Your friend Master said he was going to call for you at seven. Where were you going? Just to dinner and maybe a club afterward. I think you'd better cancel it. Why? I'll go crazy if I have to sit in this house and just wait. I don't want you to come back here after dark for one reason. If you can't go a long distance and stay, I don't want you to leave at all. The village is too small. If he knows it, he'll find you. I'll be with George. But you managed to put the responsibility of this thing into the lap of your insurance company, and they handed it to me. Now, I want you to stay here where I can keep my eye on you. All right, Dollar. I'll do anything you want me to. Good. Oh, uh, you might mix that drink you offered. Scotch, if you have it, and plain water. The rest of the evening was spent with small talk and mounting tension. The state penitentiary was no more than a hundred miles from Virginia Beach, and since it's the habit of prisons to turn out their guests at dawn, Mark Rolson had had plenty of time to make the trip. In spite of a sultry night, I closed and locked all the doors and windows, and by eleven, the cottage was dark, with everyone retired. The living room was the most strategic spot in the house, so I stretched myself across a couch that was too short for me and listened to the silence. It must have been some time after midnight when I heard a door crack behind me. Who's that? Hi, Mr. Dollar. Oh, you shouldn't be roaming around the house, Betty. I darn near laid a chair across your head. It's too hot to sleep, and besides, I have a few things on my mind if you're interested. Sure, sure, sit down. 
Thanks. Did I not understand you to say that this crime was her fiancé? That's right. Well, she certainly lives in circles, if you ask me. I happen to uncover some information that will knock you for a loop. What? Well, basically, I've never been a snoop, but I didn't go to the beach. Oh? No, after you advised me of the situation around here, I felt I had a right. I went into her room, which is no more than an oversized closet with bath. And it's a good thing I did, because in a drawer, I found a picture of Miss Browning posing as a bride. A bride? Yeah. Are you sure of that? As sure as I'm sitting here. And the guy standing with her was a bridegroom if I ever saw one. Were they fancy? What do you think of that? I don't know. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. But from what I've overheard, this fiancé of hers has been in prison for five years. Yeah, that's the story. Then how come her wedding picture was taken in 1947? Was it? That's what's stamped on the back of it. Now, is that screwy or isn't it? It definitely is. And there are some other things that don't ring truly. For example, this mug she is currently tied to. I heard her when she called him tonight, and it sounded more like... <laughs> he blasted your room. Get down the floor. Stay there. Hey, hold it. Hold it, Rose. He hadn't moved away from the window. He fired. When I got to him, he was still pointing the now empty gun at me, pulling the trigger and looking down at it stupidly. Get away. I won't go back. I don't have to stay in the hospital now. I'm all better now. Give me the gun, Robeson. It's empty. No. It's mine. You're one of her men. She always had men. No, I'm not one of her men. Let's go in the house and calm down. You talk like a doctor. Yeah, you're a doctor. You can't take me back. Get away from me. You told me to make myself believe that she was dead and I'd sleep better. Come on. Get away. I won't go back. Let go. Don't cause any more trouble, Rope. Come on. I won't go back. Let go, Rope. No. Now I don't have to go back. Let go. Unbelievable physical strength of those whose mental strength is gone. I got his hands away from my throat by sinking my knee into his stomach. There was nothing I could do to hold him. He lumbered off into the darkness and disappeared. I didn't need a medical opinion to know that I wasn't protecting Janice Browning from a released convict. I was protecting her from a homicidal maniac. She looks enough like you to be mistaken for you at a distance. You give her your clothes to wear and you put her into your room. She'd be dead now if she hadn't come into the living room. I'm not trying to pass the blame, but it was George Master's idea. He remembered her and thought bringing her here might be a way to save my life. Robeson's your husband, isn't he? Yes, he's my husband. 
What's he doing running around loose? He escaped from a hospital in Pennsylvania. He's been there a year. He tried to kill me before he was committed. Why didn't you tell the insurance company the truth? I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. It was Mr. Brewster's idea to tell you that he was coming out of prison. He thought you wouldn't take the job if you knew the truth. Well, he was right, and I'm leaving the job right now. Oh, you have every right to. You can get yourself some protection around here. I couldn't when I tried. I went to every private detective in Norfolk and Portsmouth. None of them would take the case? No. Well, what about the police? What is this, county out here? Yes, it is. I notified the sheriff's office, and they promised me extra patrols, but that's the best they could do. So how did you happen to turn to the insurance company? Well, George Masters is my lawyer. He suggested it. Mr. Dollar, I'm not begging for help or excusing anything I've done, but I've been half crazy with fear and the awful lost feeling when nobody would help me. I, I, I had to do something. What about your lack of money? Was that a lie, too? Oh, every penny I had has been spent on treatment for Mark. I borrowed from George on my insurance. I, I sold our house in Connecticut, and that money's gone. This property is all I have left, and I borrowed against it. Uh, I guess you've had your troubles. Who can I talk to about your husband? You mean a, a doctor? Yes, I thought maybe a doctor might know what Robeson would do next. Well, Dr. Becker came on to Norfolk after he warned me that Mark had escaped. His, his phone number is in the little book on the stand. Well, I hate to bother him, but I'd like to have him come out tonight. Mr. Dollar? Yeah? You're staying? Well, not any longer than I have to. Hey, uh, you'd better get up and have a drink. You're shaking like a leaf. I changed my mind about dropping the case, Mr. Brewster, not only because she was a beautiful woman in a tough situation, but also for another reason. I awoke Dr. Becker at his hotel in Norfolk, and after I outlined the night's events to him, he agreed to come out. been a decidedly unpleasant experience, Mr. Dollar. On the other hand, you are fortunate to be alive. Yes, I guess I am. Robeson is only dangerous when his basic jealousy is aggravated. You say you arrived with Luggy. That's right. Perhaps he was watching then and misunderstood your visit. Oh, I get it. Well, what do we do now, Doctor? He probably thinks he killed her. Can we expect him to come back? Well, that is hard to say. He'll suffer a deep sense of remorse. Then he may feel that what took place was only a figment, a dream. The remorse would cause introspection and keep him away. The fantasy thought might bring him back to investigate. When? Oh, who knows? Tonight, even. Or tomorrow. Would he try to kill her again? Oh, yes, yes. An extremely strong fixation. Do you want him to come back? Well, I want to see the end of this. That's the best way I can think of. I'll keep his wife here tomorrow, outside, so he can see her if he does come. She's the one who really has suffered, the poor girl. I wish there were a way to ensure her safety. We could alert the police. Well, with the police on the scene, then he would not return. Shh. Here she comes. Hello, Dr. Becker. Oh, good evening, my dear. Or morning, rather. Oh, I'm so sorry about the trouble. Uh, I'm afraid it can't be helped. I was so sure at one point that he was responding to treatment. Well, I know you've done your best, Doctor. Mr. Dollar, I may be imagining things, but I'm awfully worried. It'll be all right. No, I'm, I mean, I tried to phone George and there's no answer. It's after two and he should be at home. Mark knew that George and I have always been friendly. 
Would there be any danger to this man, Doctor? Oh, I hardly think so. All of your husband's aggressive urge was directed towards you, Janice. Oh, well, could we go and see if everything is all right? I, I, I can't help it. I'm worried. Where does he live? In the village. It's not far from here. Could we borrow your car, Doctor? Oh, by all means, my dear. Here, here are the keys. You'll come with me, Mr. Dollar. Oh, I'm not letting you go alone. We'll be back as soon as we can, Doctor. Oh, this is his house, the white one. Oh, there's his car in the driveway. There's a light on. Maybe his phone is out of order. I, I told him I'd let him know if anything happened. George? George, it's Jan. He doesn't answer. I want to go in. Yeah, let's see. Hmm, it's unlocked. George? Light's coming from a room back there. Oh, that's your study. Phone is. Well, we can check that then. George Masters was lying face up in the middle of a room that had been pretty well torn up by the struggle. The first thing I noticed were the bruises left on his throat by the hands that had choked him to death. I noticed another thing when I went to the desk to phone the police. There was a gun lying on it. I would have sworn that it was the same police special Mark Robeson was carrying earlier in the evening. It took Dr. Becker to quiet Janice Browning after I literally dragged her out of the master's house and got her home. And I hope she can rest now, but she's dangerously near to mental collapse herself. Yes, I can understand that. Is there anything further that I can do, Mr. Dollar? Nothing now, Betty. Get some sleep if you can. Sleep? Who could sleep? Well, and spend your time packing. You're going back to New York in the morning. I certainly am. For me, you can give Virginia Beach back to the engine. Is Janice in love with Masters, Doctor? I think so. A great feeling of loyalty, at least. He'd helped her so much with monetary loans and so on. But you said he wouldn't remember the association between Masters and his wife. Yes, I was convinced that he wouldn't. There was a police special in Masters' study. I'm positive it was the same one that Robeson used here. Oh? I tried to take it away from him. I couldn't. Now, why should he leave it at Master? Well, I don't know. Say, did they know one another before Robeson broke down? Oh, yes. They were quite friendly. They... Good heavens, Dollar. What are you driving at? Mm, Jana's borrowed from Master's on a life insurance policy. That usually means making the lender a beneficiary. I don't know how much the policy was for, but I'm going to find out. Well, I dislike having to agree with you, Dollar, but... But I do. In Robeson's warped mind, Janice was the arch-enemy. It would have been quite easy for Masters to inflame Robeson to the point where... Where he would kill his own wife. Oh, Mr. Dollar! Mr. Dollar! What is it, Betty? He's back! That man, he came back! All right. Take it easy. You're all right. But I saw him. He was looking in the window. One, the one he shot through. Doctor, was... doctor, take care of her, will you? I'd better get back to Janice's room. There was no more trouble that night, nor was there any rest. 
We knew that since Robeson had come back, he realized his mistake. And we knew that he would try to come back again. We agreed that instead of calling for police protection, we would let him return and try to handle him when he did. An hour after daybreak, we felt it safe to relax. And it wasn't until noon that I drove Betty Light into Virginia Beach and put her aboard a bus bound for the comparative safety of New York. Before I started the return trip, I made a swing past George Masters' house, convinced the deputy sheriff in charge that I had a right to poke my nose in, and got myself back into the study. I suppose it'd be all right if you'd go in. They took up all the evidence they wanted, I guess. What was that, Sheriff? All the things that pick up prints. Here you are. What do you want to look at? Some of his papers. I won't interfere with your work, but I'd like to know how he stood financially. You think that has something to do with it? No, I don't know. It might. They dusted all them drawers, so I guess it's all right if you pull them. He's a lawyer, you know. Yeah, I know. Then the field's wide open. A lot of people didn't like him. Oh? I didn't know that. What's that book? It's a ledger. Kept his accounts in it. What'd you find? Janice Brown. Who's that? Somebody he loaned some money to him? Ooh, I'll say he did. $20,000. That's all I wanted, Sheriff. Thanks, and I hope I haven't caused you too much trouble. What I'd found was another link in a chain of circumstantial evidence that would never be used since George Masters was dead. He had loaned Janice Browning the thousands she had spent on treatments for her husband, and it was obvious that there was no chance of her ever being able to pay him back. The last notation revealed the fact that a $5,000 loan had been made on her insurance policy in April. A long-distance call to the company told me that the policy was for $50,000 and that George Masters had become the sole beneficiary the same month, April. purpose in telling her, Mr. Dollar, or questioning her? I don't either, Doctor. I hadn't planned to, but the sheriff's office won't think twice about throwing it at her if it gets out. If you will um, allow me the privilege of perjuring a certain amount of expert testimony, I think I could manage to gloss over it. Well, the deputy saw it, but I don't think it sank in. Uh, I hope not. Of course, we're assuming that we'll be successful in subduing Robson. You said he would come back. I'm sure he will. It is you I'm worried about. Well, I'll have to be ready for him this time. He's too strong to take without a weapon. I hate to do it. Oh, I don't think you need to be. The poor fellow will have no idea what is happening except that he has come back. Okay. Is she awake? Yes, yes, I think so. Well, it's three o'clock. She should be outside in case he's watching. Yes, yes, I'll go and explain our tactics to her. Good luck, Mr. Dollar. I hope all goes well. Janice Browning through the garden in her most fetching get-up until dark, and then sent her in to sit in front of an open window. I don't know how she held on to her own sanity. I do know that I had a little trouble myself. I sneaked into a position outside the house from which there was a good view of all the approaches but the one from the north. He arrived at about 10.30. He was moving toward the living room window. I started toward him. Hi, Mark. What? I can't see you. I'm George Masters. 
You remember? George Masters? That's right. It's your fault. She wasn't in that room. Did I tell you she was in that room? Your heart, George Masters. He made a mistake. I told him, and he said I made a mistake. You're the doctor. Get away from me. We'll do it right this time, Mark. Come here. George Masters is dead. You aren't George Masters. No, I'm not, Mark. But you have to come with me. No, I don't. I won't go back to the hospital. I won't let you. Mark. Robeson, don't. Get away. No. No, I don't. I'm sorry, Robeson. I don't know what Becker is going to say to the police. But I do know what he learned from his patient after he was returned to the hospital and quieted down. Enclosed, you will find the doctor's confidential statement. He did go to Masters, hoping to ally him as a friend. Taking advantage of his escape, Masters owned him in the hope of realizing a profit from Genesis insurance policy. But Robeson, in his agitation, fired into the wrong room. And because he placed the blame for his mistake on Masters instead of himself, he became violent and as a result... Masters was killed. Expense account item three, same as item two, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account item four, and this is to you personally, Mr. Brewster. Payment for deceit in acing me into this matter, $500. Expense account total, $855.75. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music composed and conducted by Lee Stevens. Featured in tonight's cast were Bob Sweeney, Virginia Gregg, Gene Bates, High Averback, and Howard McNear. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Delvay. <laughs> Stay tuned for X-1 next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for X-1, and the show first aired in 1956. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, minus 4, minus 3, minus 2, X-1, fire! From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents... X... Minus... One... Tonight, X-1 presents Perigi's Wonderful Dolls by George Lefferts. The doll shop stood on a quiet Washington side street, not too far from the sprawling Pentagon building. A woman and child waited outside. 
the little girl peering eagerly through the window at the dolls inside, and the woman glancing impatiently at her wristwatch, as if expecting someone who was late for an appointment. There was nothing about the doll shop to warn them that they were waiting to keep an appointment with Doom. In the window of the shop, the tiny dolls. Oh, Mommy, do you think Daddy will buy me one? We'll ask him when he comes, dear. Should be here soon. He said three o'clock on this corner. I see him, Mommy. See? Oh, Henry, over here. Hello, dear. I'm sorry I'm late. Well, we're all ready to go shopping. Cindy's been... Yes, re- well, I'm afraid we'll have to call off the shopping, young Oh, Henry, we promised Cindy. Well, I'm sorry, but it's just one of those things. You've been the wife of an army colonel long enough to know his life isn't his own. What is it this time? Some more of that flying sphere nonsense. The pilot who says he sighted it last month crashed and was killed today, and the general wants a full report. Oh, dear. What next? Well, I got a staff meeting at the Pentagon at 3.15. Daddy, look in this window. I haven't time, dear. Alma, I... Just for a minute, Daddy, please. Now, Cindy, I haven't time to stop and watch a bunch of six-inch dolls parading around in the shop window. (laughs) Say, they are lifelike, aren't they? Look at that, Alma. Dolls are marching around like a regular review. They've even got their own little band. <laughs> See the one in the red jacket, Daddy? Yeah. He's the leader. He's bowing to us. Well, uh, they don't look human. Henry, your staff meeting. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Well, i got to run. Can we buy one, Daddy? Well, not now, dear, and I'll run along. Now, don't go spending a lot of money on that nonsense. No, now. dear. Bye. Bye, Cindy. Bye, Bye, Daddy. Oh, look, Mommy, the band is going to play. Aren't they wonderful, honey? Honey, I must have stood on this corner a thousand times. I've never noticed this shop before. Look at the man inside, Mommy. Who's he? That's the proprietor, dear. Doesn't he look funny with those those red cheeks and white mustache? It's easy to see who he models his dolls after. I mean, look, he's coming to the door. He's coming. Good evening, children. Uh, good evening. How funny he talks. Hush, Cindy. Would you like to step inside the shop of Santo Terigi? Oh, yes, we would. This way. Mommy, it's like... like fairyland. Here in the shop of Santo Pirigi, creator of Pirigi's universal wonderful dolls, the world of adult reality is blended with the world of child's fantasy. This is a new shop, isn't it, Mr. Pirigi? What is new and what is old? Come, this way. Would you like to meet one of my little ones? Oh, yes. This one in the red jacket is Toto. He's the leader. Handle him ever so gently. See, I will set him on the table. Speak, little one. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do? Oh, my, he talks. The doll talks. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. That is nothing for Pirigi's wonderful dolls. Listen. Sing. Sing, Toto. Sing for the little girl. My name is Toto. (laughs) Sing, Toto. Men are big and tall, dolls are very small. When men begin to fall, the dolls will rule them all. <laughs> oh, more, more! How do they work, Mr. Perigi? How do they work? Ah, that is the secret of the great Perigi, greatest of all doll makers. To make an ordinary doll is nothing. To make a perfect replica 
that is something. But to make a doll with intelligence, that is the work of an artist, eh? I suppose that they're very expensive to buy. Pierigi does not sell his dolls, madam. You don't sell them? When I construct a doll like Toto, I cannot bear to be permanently separated from him. So instead of selling, I rent my little people. You do? You rent dolls? Precisely. Ten dollars. For how long? For as long as they are cherished. My only request is that when you grow tired of my dolls, you return them to me in good condition. Oh, Mommy, could we take him home? Take him home! Take him home! Take him home! <laughs> oh, look, he's following you, Daddy. He wants to well, come. Well, honey, your father said that we shouldn't spend a lot oh, of money. Oh, please, I'll take such good care of it. Please. Well, honey, we'll have to deal with your father later, but... Well... Oh, Mommy! All right. Wrap him up, Mr. Parigi. But I have a feeling that when your father comes home, we'll be sorry. Be sorry, be sorry, be sorry, be sorry. <laughs> now, Toto, this is my room, and you're going to sleep right here next to my pillow. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't laugh like that. I'm going to have to teach you some manners. <laughs> And you'll be quiet because my daddy will be home soon. And he's a colonel in the Air Force staff. And he'll bust you to private if you don't behave. Come along now. I'm going to introduce you to my puppy dog, Mr. Blister. So be good. Here, Mr. Blister. Here, Blister. Come on. (laughs) Mr. Blister, this is Toto. Dear, I don't think Mr. Blister likes you, Toto. Come over here and shake hands with Toto, Mr. Blister. Come on now. Dolls don't get frightened. But he was frightened, Mommy. He screamed. You imagined it, dear. It's only a doll. He did. He did. Well, Mr. Blister didn't mean it. Now, you know he's the gentlest little pup alive. He is, and he's nasty, and I hate him. Oh, now see, you've hurt his feelings. I don't care. He tried to bite my new doll, and I don't ever want to see him again, ever. Oh, dear. All right, Mr. Blister. You come downstairs with me. Did you learn a thing like that? I... Chocho said it. Honey, you've had a, a very exciting day. Now, brush your teeth now and go to bed. Hmm? Daddy's coming home late, so he'll see you in the morning. Good night, dear. Sleep well. Hate him. <laughs> Hate him. Hate him. Hate him. Hate him. <laughs> Morning, Alma. Breakfast ready? In a minute, dear. Mm. How was the staff meeting last oh, night? Horrible bore, as usual. I don't know what's got into the old man. Just because a few farmers corroborated the pilot's report, he thinks some strange aircraft has penetrated our radar zone. <laughs> well, where's the little one? Up in her room. <laughs> now, that's funny. She's usually down here before me. Well, she's probably up to something. Sit down, dear. Say, remind me to take some papers back to the war department, will you? I left them in my strong box. You 
haven't been bringing your reports home, have you? Well, it's safe enough. Well, you told me it was against regulations to bring secret papers home. Well, I had to finish some work for the old man, and nobody will ever know the difference. Well, I don't know. Oh, would you feed the puppy before we sit down, Henry? Mm, yes. His bowl's under the sink. Where is he? Say, that's funny. Here's his supper from last night, only half eaten. <laughs> He's getting fussy. Doesn't like canned dog food anymore. <laughs> Here, Blister! Here, Blister, Blister, Blister! Where the dickens is that mutt? Maybe he's on the back porch. Here, Blister. Hey. What is it, dear? Alma, look. <gasps> Henry, is he? He's dead. But how? What the looks of it, he might have been poisoned. But who would do a thing like that to an innocent little puppy? I don't know. Let me see his dish. I don't understand this at all. Not at all. What, dear? What is it? There are pieces of broken glass in this food. Blue glass, you see? How? Henry. What? I just remembered something. What? It may be coincidence, but in the bathroom this morning... Oh, what about the bathroom? Oh, Cindy's blue glass, the one with the Mickey Mouse on it, was broken. I found pieces in the wastebasket. I meant to ask her about oh, it. Alma, for heaven's sake, you aren't suggesting that our little girl... Well, she loved Blister more than anyone. Not last night, she didn't. Why not? He went after Toto. Now, who is Toto? That's her new doll. Her what? Honey, I was meaning to tell you. But you you bought her one of those dolls. I, huh? I just rented it. Well, rented it. Now, look here, Alma. You know we haven't got the kind of money to throw away. Well, she on... had her heart set on it, dear. I used my dividend. <sighs> All right. But what happened with Blister? Well, he went for the doll, and, and Cindy said she hated him. Well, a child... She is... said she'd kill him. Where'd she get a thought like that? I don't know. Has she been watching those chillers on television? I don't know. Well, it's too ridiculous. Good heavens, a nine-year-old child putting ground glass in dog food, she'd have to be a monster. Mommy! She's coming. Well, don't say anything. I'll talk to her. Morning, dear. Morning, Mommy. Morning, Daddy. What's the matter? Uh, sit down, dear. Yes, sir. Oh. Your mother tells me you broke your blue drinking glass. Oh, no, I didn't break it. Cindy. I didn't. Well, now, somebody broke it. It wasn't your mother and it wasn't me. It must have been Toto. Cynthia. Cindy, you know Toto is only a doll. Now, a doll couldn't have broken your glass, could he? Well? I guess not. So we can't very well blame it on a doll, then, can we? But he must have done it, Daddy. Cindy, you know how Daddy feels about little girls who tell fibs. Now, did you break your glass and maybe accidentally get some pieces into Mr. Blister's dish to sort of punish him for biting your doll? No, Daddy. Oh, I'd hate to think you'd done something you knew was wrong and you were blaming it on a doll. Something wrong with Mr. Blister? Is he sick? Worse than that. Henry. The child has to face reality, Alma. What's the matter with Mr. Blister? He's dead, Cindy. Oh, no. We can't be dead. He isn't dead, Daddy. No, he isn't. He isn't. Mommy. He is dead, Cindy. He'll come back. He has to come back. No, darling, he won't come back. Ever? Not ever. Yes. Well, now that we've told you, Cindy, you want to change your mind about the glass? Henry, leave her alone, please. <laughs> this guy killed him. Now look what you've done. The child feels guilty <laughs> enough, My Henry. dear, this is no time for feelings to interfere. You can watch your room, honey. Daddy and I'll be up in a minute. I don't want to. Please, Cindy. Now we'll be right up. Please. 
That's a good girl. Close the kitchen door behind you. <laughs> the blister's dead. He isn't coming back. Ever. Ever. Daddy thinks it was me, but... It was you. It was you. Eat your supper, dear. I'm not hungry. You scarcely touched your lunch. I don't feel like eating. Is it Mr. Blister? Now answer your mother. She'll work it out her own way, Harry. Well, I don't know, Elmo. When I was a boy, there was such a thing as discipline. Now, the way this child is being brought up... Henry! Well, it's true. There's no respect lying in... <laughs> oh, there, there, honey. Now, your father's upset. He doesn't mean well, it. what's happened to us? We were a nice, peaceful, happy family until you bought that cursed doll. Now who's blaming things on the doll? Well, it's true. It's... Oh, now I've spilled my coffee. I'll get you another cup. Never mind. I'm late now. I better be going. Oh, you... Uh... Wanted to get some papers from the strong box. Oh, yes. Cindy, please, try to eat something. Yes, ma'am. Alma! Alma! What is it? Alma! It's gone! What's gone? The box, the strong box is gone! It can't be! The door to your study's always locked. You and I, I have the only keys. Yeah, I know all that, and I tell you it isn't there. Well, who would go? I don't know. Alma, those confidential reports, if they ever got into the wrong house... I warned you about keeping them well, there. What if it ever came out in the open? Didn't you see the papers? Call the police, yeah. Henry. And throw my army career in a wastebasket after 17 years? No. We've got to find it ourselves. Well, it was there when I went in to clean this morning. What about your key? It's right here. I always keep it with me. It's funny. Oh, no. My other keys are on the ring. Oh, you've lost it. I don't see how. Alma, Alma, how could you do Oh, Henry, please. We'll search the house. I can't think of anything else to do. Well, you'll miss the staff meeting. Meeting? My whole career goes up in smoke if we don't find those reports. Somebody got hold of your key and opened that room and... I know. Cindy. You leave the child alone. She's been through enough. You know she wouldn't do a thing like that. I don't know anything anymore. I don't even know my own child. I don't even know you. All I know is that strong box is gone and it contains papers that are dynamite if the wrong person gets them. The question being who? What's that? It's coming from upstairs. It must be Cindy's doll. Oh, that blasted doll again. Something must have set it off. I don't know how to the mechanism well, works. For heaven's sakes, let's go up and shut it off. Since you... Henry! What? Look. Where? What? Around the doll's neck. The key. The key to your study. You see, Alma. It was Cindy after all. I don't believe it. Oh, good heavens. Do you have to have it spelled out for you? Here's our doll with a key around its neck. She wouldn't, Henry. You know she wouldn't. Oh, ever since you got this this fool doll, she's been acting half insane. First the dog and now this... I think she hates herself. Henry, Cindy is my child. I know her. I know she's a good, sensitive person with no malice in You're her. You're simply refusing to face the facts, my dear. What are you going to do? I'm going downstairs and have a talk with that young lady. You're not telling the truth, Cindy. I am. I am. Cindy, 
Now, you know that strong box is very important to me. Now, I can understand that you might have been angry at me because I scolded you. And so you took it and hid it, just to spite me. Now, all I ask is for you to tell me the truth. Now, where is it? I didn't take it, Daddy. Honest, I didn't take it. Well, I suppose you're going to tell me now that a little six-inch doll took it and hid it. Well, I'm speaking to you, young lady. But I didn't take it, Daddy. You don't understand. Toto did it. He's terrible, awful. He says things. He's going to kill everybody. Cindy, you're inventing things. It's true. At night when I'm sleeping, he stands next to my pillow and whispers things to me. Awful things. He told me he'd kill me, too, if I scolded him, if I told you. I think this child is sick. I think she needs a doctor. She's frightened him. Trembling like a leaf. Come on, dear. We'll go up to your room. I don't want to go up there. Honey, Mommy will stay with you. I'm afraid he's up there. Who? Toto! Well, he won't be up there for long. Mr. Toto is going right back to Pierigi's wonderful doll shop before I lose my sanity, which means right now. Grayson, welcome to the home of Pirigi's wonderful doll. Are you Pirigi? Santo Pirigi, creator of the universal doll, the doll with a mind, the doll which... I'm returning one of your masterpieces. Oh? If you will step into the rear of my shop. Now the complaint. No complaint. Here's your doll. Good riddance. My little Toto. Rejected. You found the world of men too filled with hate. Hate, 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 hate! We will change all that later on. Return to your comrades in the window, little one. And now, Colonel Grace. I think we have no further business. Ah, but we do, Colonel. Let me see. Ah, yes, here it is. Do you recognize the strong box, Colonel? Strong box? Well, where? My little Toto is very clever, sir. Are you trying to tell me your doll stole that from me? Let us not say stole. I am merely keeping it in custody. What's the game, Pierigi? The game, as you call it, is blackmail. You give me what I want, and I do not ruin your career. What do you want? Information. We already know something from the reports of the War Department concerning a certain strange-looking sphere reported by one of your pilots. What government do you represent? I represent Pierigi's wonderful dolls, none other. I am not so naive, sir. Perhaps I should explain. Each man hides something from the world. Each man loves something more than life. With the help of my wonderful dolls, I obtain personal information which enables me to control the men who control the world. You're a madman. A genius. You would be surprised at the list of men who have become the confidants for my dolls. Do you think you can blackmail me into betraying my country? If the price is right. And in this case, sir, the price is your career and the lives of your wife and child. Why are you so interested in the flying sphere? Let us say for reasons of my own. Well, Colonel? Hand over the strong box. I warn you, I have a gun. Give it to me. 
You are being foolish. Put down that walking stick. Now? No closer. Now? Hello? Give me the police. Hello? This is Colonel Henry Grayson. I've, uh, I've just killed a man. Yes, Parigi's Doll Shop, corner of 4th and Lexington. The body is in the back room. Yes, I'll wait for you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, you little fiend. Colonel Grayson. Did, did I hear it speak? Colonel Henry Grayson. <laughs> I must be going out of my mind, a six-inch doll. <laughs> Shut up, your master's dead. You are mistaken, Colonel. I, Toto, am the master. What do you mean? If you will examine the body of Santor Perigi, you will see that he does not bleed. And he does not bleed, Colonel, because Santor Perigi never lived. Never lived? Santor Perigi is a doll. A Doll, but that's impossible. He's a man. He talks. He walks. The people of Meritrix are skillful doll builders. People of Meritrix doll, but but who are you? I am Xanthus Imperator, commander of the legions of the third planetoid, Meritrix. Uh, Legions? Planetoid? My people and I, whom you regard as dolls, come from a tiny planet beyond the moon. So small that it cannot support... Our population. We landed one of our space spheres on Earth three months ago with the intention of colonizing. Unfortunately, one of your pilots intercepted us. So that's why you wanted our information. Precisely. Are you, uh, are you, uh, human? Oh, quite human. Of course, in order to deal with Earth people without suspicion, we were forced to construct Perigi. A... Man-sized doll. Well, I can't believe this. I'm having hallucinations. I'm going to get out of here. Oh, that would be impossible. We have weapons of destruction quite unknown to Earth people. Well, I phoned the police and they'll be here soon. By the time they arrive, my people will have prepared something quite shocking. Cover him, Ryan. Okay, Sergeant. You the guy who turned in the call? Yes. Where's the body? Well, it isn't exactly a body. What do you mean? It's a doll. A what? Well, you've got to let me explain. Well, this sounds fantastic, but I've stumbled onto an unbelievable plot to control the world. Keep talking. Now, these little dolls, they aren't really dolls. They're tiny people. There's a big doll named Santo Perigi, and he runs a shop. Holy smokes. He's off his trolley, sir. Listen, mister, we got a call that there was a murder here. Now, if there was one, where's the body? Behind those curtains in the back. Only, it isn't really a body, you see. What? I hear something back there, Sarge. All right, cover those curtains. You, there's anyone back there? Come on out. Come out, or we'll come in and get you. Something's coming. The curtain's opening. Welcome, gentlemen. Perigi. This is impossible. I smashed his skull. I... You know this guy? Yes, that, that's the one. That's the doll. What's your name, mister? Perigi. 
Santo Parisi, creator of the Universal Dow. You ever see this man? Never until just now. What? Well, he's lying. I tell you, he's nothing but a life-sized doll. The real masters are these little dolls. Ryan, are you getting this? He's wacko, Sarge. Nutty as a fruit. Now, look, look, I'm not crazy, I tell you. I can prove it. They, they must have fixed up his head when I when I smashed it in. T touch him, you'll see. Mr. Parisi, you know what the guy is talking about? Well, the man is demented, obviously. No, no, look, I tell you, there's a there's a plot to control the Earth. Listen, you, you've got to let me call the War Department. They'll want to know about the flying sphere. Holy mackerel, this gets worse every minute. Ryan. Take him to headquarters? Save some time. Take him down to Psycho Ward. Okay, Buck Rogers. Uh, look, I'm along nice look, and quiet look, you've got to listen to me. Don't you see the future of mankind is at stake? Sure, sure. I know how it is. Look, he's nothing but a man-sized doll. Touch him. And the little ones are going to take over the Earth. I know. I had the DTs once. Okay, Sarge. Oh, we'll see you later. Please, please. Come along. Please, now. listen Come to me. On. You've got to listen to me. Sorry to cause all this trouble, Mr. Breed. Not at all, sir. Not at all. Well, I'll be. <laughs> that ain't the cutest little doll. Say, my little girl will be nuts for that. So perhaps you will accept it as a gift. Well, now. For saving I... my life. That madman might have killed me. No home is really complete without one of Kirichi's wonderful dolls, Sergeant. Is that right, Toto? <laughs> yes, but I, 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 I would like in some way to show my gratitude. You will be doing me a favor if you will take the doll home to your little daughter. <laughs> Say, this ought to make her the happiest girl in the world. Yes, Toto will come as a great surprise. A very great surprise. Won't it, Toto? <laughs> Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Pirigi's Wonderful Dolls, written by George Lefferts. Heard in the cast were Janet Alexander as Cindy, Anne Petoniak as Alma, Nelson Olmsted as Henry, Joe DeSantis as Pirigi, Michael O'Day as Toto, Ken Lynch as the Sergeant, and Frank Milano as Ryan. This is Fred Collins speaking. X-1 was directed by Fred Way and is an NBC Radio Network production. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler, followed by Red Skelton. Thanks to Joel Sonwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.